I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Monday morning, I send out a storytelling tip to my email subscribers, and I talk about how I have used it in my own storytelling for my clients and for myself, and I leave you with tangible advice on how you can apply it to your strategies. If this sounds like something that would interest you, go ahead and sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. Again, that's rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that helps you tell heartfelt stories to maximize your impact in minimal time. Find out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. So the hardest thing that I have heard from most businesses and brands when it comes to storytelling and brand storytelling, the thing they struggle with most is simply what story to tell and when. The thing is, you don't have to look that far. Every day, every lived experience you have is an opportunity to tell a story. And specifically, a lot of your personal stories are going to translate very well to the business world because the lessons learned will be universal and they will be applicable to the business setting. What's up, storytellers? Welcome back to the Storytelling Lab podcast. This is episode 119, and today my guest is Mark Carpenter, the author of, or the co-author of, Master Storytelling. And at master-storytelling.com, you can see all the free resources that he, he and his co-author, Daryl Harmon, rather, uh, have available for you. But this is the crux of the conversation that we have. 
we talk about how to find these stories. In fact, on their website, which I just mentioned, they have a story catcher to help you look at your real, live, lived personal experiences and how to extract the lesson learned and therefore the story that you can tell from it. So we talk all about you know how how to find these stories, what stories are the most impactful. Now, primarily. Mark works with people in sales and leadership and business. That is the realm that he works in. That is the realm often, most often, I would say that we talk about here on the show. How do we use and leverage storytelling to pursue our business goals, our career goals? How do we pursue our dreams? How do we build our companies? How do we launch our products? That's what we're talking about primarily today. Now, he works with businesses. He's a consultant. He's a trainer. He's a speaker. But Man, at the end of the day, like, this is so cheesy, and I'm sorry that I'm going to say this, but, like, he's a human. This is the best part about this show for me and the best part about this specific conversation. We were just two dudes having a chat about storytelling, and the beautiful thing about stories organically emerged as we shared stories. Now, I don't want to give his stories away, but he gave some really great real-life examples that he has used in his own business that came from his personal life. So we were honestly just sharing stories, and the impact and the effects and results of storytelling naturally emerged. So it's so cool to, to listen to this conversation and just see it happen. Now, I need to give you a little bit of context because uh, before we really st- before the episode starts, we were talking about the current state of things in regards to the pandemic and people moving back to the office, or more specifically, leaders and owners and managers wanting people to come back to the office and understanding is that what the people want? Is that what the people or the companies need? Um, because there's a little bit of conflict of interest as I see it, just listening to the conversations around the country. Uh, People have gotten quite used to working at home, so we started talking about how you could share stories to inspire people or how you can use storytelling to listen to your people and see if forcing them to come back to the office is is the right thing. So I cut out a little bit of the preamble because we had talked about it for quite a while, but it did launch into our conversation, again, pretty organically about storytelling. So it picks up what you're going to hear as soon as the intro is over is picking up kind of in the middle of that conversation. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of context about what we were talking about leading up to that. So here is my conversation with Mark Carpenter, and I hope that you love it. You know, people's values have changed. And I've seen different versions of this sentiment, but like, you know, and this is kind of poking fun at like the Googles of the world, but it's like people don't care about the ping pong table anymore and like the free coffee, right? Like values have changed. They really like yeah. care about their quality of life, you know, their how their time is valued and these little perks that like maybe 10 years ago were like, oh my gosh, there's a slide in the office. <laughs> like Nobody cares about that anymore. There's free soda in the fridge. Right. It's like, I'll spend the, <laughs> the dollar to, to get one, you know? Uh, so, okay. So, so let me ask you this, <clears throat> um, bringing it to kind of the storytelling sphere realm, uh, you know, all that is influencing people to, to bind together, as you probably well know, is storytelling, right? In terms of influencing the, to do so. So like, how, how would you effectively convince people to come back to the office or do you do that? Or do you listen to what they want? Like, what's the move there as a leader? Because I think I do empathize with the leaders too, because it's like, 
hey, there is a lot to say for being together in the same room. I fully believe that. I think magic happens when you're when you're together. I've been a part of that. I don't think it's absolutely necessary. I think it can be replicated and maybe we've done the wrong job. But there's a lot of people in this situation, this picture that you're painting right now in terms of leaders and in terms of, of, of uh, employees. So what is the move there to, to keep that morale, to keep those people happy at their jobs? Well, I, I would start with what's your motive? Yeah. Because that, that's where I always start with, yeah. with storytelling in, 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 the, in the way that I teach it within the business realm is what are you, what's the point you're trying to make? Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I don't know what the story is to tell until I know what the point is I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. And if they say, well, I just, I just think it's better to have everybody right. back. Okay. Why? Well, I just think they work better. Well, why? And, and it's, it's driving down on the, on the, what is your real motive? And I've actually had that conversation with some people where they go, I, I I'm actually not quite sure. <laughs> don't know. It's like, well, you got to get clear on that before you can set any plans in place to get people back. Totally. And this, you know, I think what the problem might be is that people subscribe to this narrative that it's just better to be back in the office. Yeah. And I like how you air quoted just better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because what you said, when you kind of poke and prod them a little bit, a lot of people, obviously I'm, I'm casting a wide net here. Don't really have a, a clear answer. If you do, you do great. Um, But I think that there are a lot of leaders that, and and I'm just picking up on the conversations that I've been hearing, right? I just try to listen to the, and and be uh, in touch with, uh, with the, with the conversations that are going around the workplaces. But that's, that's a sentiment that, that, that I've heard. And I've seen that scenario a few times where people are wanting to come back to the office and there's no real reason there could be, I'm sure there's several uh, industries where that would be helpful. My wife works uh, for a tech startup. And they've all met one time uh, in person. About half of them got COVID, as there were. <laughs> but oh, that's beside the point. There's but, a story. <laughs> right, right. They're like, let's finally all meet after six months of working together in New York. And yeah, my wife didn't. Um, but uh, in general, the the, the boss uh, who's had some success at other at other startups, you know, doesn't feel that need. They work very effectively. Uh, yeah. all over the country and you don't necessarily have to depending on what your job is so i think that a lot of people do just kind of believe that without asking that first question of like well what's your motive what, what yeah. why yeah, and, and what's the result you're going to get mm-hmm. you know what what if you're saying we're going to be more productive because we're working in the same building together i want to show, I, I want you to show me how and, and that's maybe where the story comes in mm-hmm. it's like show me an example tell me the story of how you became more productive or how the team was more productive because you were all together. And if, and if you can do that, if you can give me that vision, you can be more compelling in your, in your, uh, your desire to bring us all back together again. Mm-hmm. But if you can't, then you need to think about, okay, can't, can't we be just as effective doing a hybrid or having people in part of the time? And, and let's, let's figure that out. All right. This I'm liking where we're going with this. This is, this is, this is, <laughs> we haven't even started yet. No. <laughs> well, I, what I love about, you know, conversations like this is it just, it generates questions for you, right? Like when we're naturally talking about the things we're passionate about. And so this has me thinking about asking yourself that question, why? 
which I would argue that most of us, most of us, uh, at least many of us don't ever get to that point. I think I've made a video before about, uh, you know, how, how you kind of fall into business. And for, for me and a lot of small business owners are kind of solopreneurs as, as, as many people refer to them, they just have a skill and they just kind of, Hey, I just, well, I do, I can do this for money. And I just started a business and there's no, you just kind of fall into it. And it just happened. And it just happens. Yes. Right. And there's other reasons why people end up, end up uh, doing things or making decisions. But I've noticed uh, now that I'm uh, getting older and wiser that in so many aspects of our lives, but definitely in business, for sure, we do things, we take actions we create businesses uh, and we never really ask ourselves why There's, that's a challenge for people, or it's, it's something that's neglected. My question is simply, why do you think that is? Why do we do so many things and we're so productive and we take so many actions without that first step, which seems to be when we talk about it now, like a clear and obvious first step, but it isn't for many people. Yeah. Well, I think there's two things. Number one, if you, Take a bucket of water and pour it on the ground. Which mm -hmm. way is the water going to run? Everywhere. Like, no, but, or downhill, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's going it's to run in the path of least resistance. Yes, yes, yes. Copy. And so yeah. I think there's some of that. But it's like, well, this is just the easiest thing to do. Let's just, just go this direction. Yeah, great point. Okay. And so I, I think there's part of it there's, that's the, the, the passive least, path of least resistance thing. For sure. The, the other part of it is just our own personal biases. And I, and I don't mean biases in terms of, of being discriminatory, but just our own past experience. It's like, well, yeah, we've always had people in the office in this industry. Mm -hmm. And so we couldn't over the last two years, but now that's done. So let's go back without taking that thoughtful. Well, why not? Why, you know, and why do we have to do that? It, it takes work to get to, to that really hard purpose what are we doing why are we doing this what are we trying to accomplish and that hard work is sometimes pushing the water uphill yeah it's real easy well because business is hard right in general yeah. whether you're one person band or you know huge huge uh, ceo of a huge global company uh it's it's tough and i feel like it's really easy to get complacent. Like if something is kind of working, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of mentality, or if we've always done it, I really like how you, how you said that, because that's a, that's a very common one. And that certainly doesn't ask the question why, no. or it certainly doesn't answer the, que the question why. So instead of people like staying curious and asking themselves, well, why do we do that way? Or can we do that? Can we do it better? Do we need to come back to the office? I think we tend to get very complacent because it is hard. And if things are working, it's, 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 it's some, it's a hard decision to say, well, let's do this really challenging thing. Let's yes. start pushing this water uphill when everyone else is like, why we just figured out how to let it flow downhill without blocking it. There's that great research study. And I, and I can't, can't cite who did it or where right off the top of my head, but it was with, was with monkeys and they, they had these monkeys in a cage, you know, in, in, in a group. And every time a monkey would go up to the, to, to a one certain place, they'd spray him with a water hose. Hmm. And just every time they went up there, they'd spray him with a water hose. Well, then they put a new monkey into the mix that hadn't been there. Well, that monkey started going up and the other monkeys pulled him down. So don't, you know, basically don't go there. Don't go there. Don't do that. And that new monkey after a while would never go up there. 
Well, they slowly integrated all new monkeys into the cage and until they had all the monkeys in the cage had never been squirted with the water, but none of them would go to that point. Wow. And they had no idea why. And so that's kind of the, this is the way we've always done it mentality that you get that ingrained into a culture sometimes and nobody stops to ask, okay, why aren't we going there? And, and, and thinking about the connection to the past. Mm. I like that a lot. Yeah. This, this is, this is a, a common issue. Again, it's the same thing as kind of subscribing to this narrative that uh, this, this big, broad macro narrative that, that we just accept as truth. And the more we stay curious and try to poke holes in that, then I think we can kind of find our way forward a little bit better. That's interesting. I'm going to ponder on that a little bit more. Um, so I want to ask you, like, for, for me right now, <laughs> I had kind of a crazy year. I was really excited about 2022. And, and then it still just, you know, uh, the story took me where, <laughs> where it would take me. It wasn't necessarily uh, me crafting it. I was really excited and I still am about, about a few of the things coming up this year. And I'm curious, like what's new, what's new for you? We're kind of, we're still in this thing. Um, and many of us have had to make pivots, but are there things that you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Like when you're looking in, looking forward into the near future, like the next year or so. Yeah. And, and part of it is, is narrowing my focus. I, I, I think, I think you and I both agree that storytelling can be used everywhere. For sure. So storytelling, you know, people say, well, where can you use stories? Or I ask people, where could you use stories? And they're like, well, everywhere is the common answer. And I always have to get them to narrow that down. Well, I'm realizing that that, that approach is hard to sell for the, the everywhere approach. So I'm looking at segmenting. Okay, what does storytelling look like in sales? What does storytelling look like in facilitation? What does storytelling look like in leadership? And getting more specific into those areas where you can use storytelling and being uh, kind of back to our other conversation, more purposeful and deliberate mm -hmm. about our intent in telling stories. Are, do you find that you are leaning towards one of those verticals or are you just trying to be specific with your content in, in driving it to a, a character, if you will, like storytelling for leadership and all these other things? Or are you like, I'm kind of like, I've done a lot. This is just a kind of random tangent, but like I've done a lot for realtors, for example. I'm not necessarily saying I want to be the storytelling for realtors guy. Right. But that could be an avenue or I could create stuff for them, create stuff for, you know, nonprofits, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Because similar to what to you're talking about, yeah. we have found a lot of people in sales yeah. that we've worked with. Okay. So storytelling and sales is very, a very clear, easy vertical for me, mm -hmm. but I'm also looking, I also have interest in some of those other areas mm -hmm. and interest from people in some of those other areas. Mm -hmm. And I think I just need to get it more specific for those people so that they can see the direct value to them, that they don't have to take the general value and apply it to them specifically. Mm -hmm. They're going to let me apply it for them to their specific uh, market. It, you know, the, uh, <clears throat> this is, this is all like, relating to and empathizing with with characters is what it sounds like to me right like absolutely because uh i've noticed that as well Is like you might even give the same content but if you just say like here's how to you know increase your sales as a realtor and it's really the same thing as if i were to say like cars <laughs> you know the same type of skills people in, resonate in reality, the content's probably going to be about five to ten percent different right for, for each of those verticals right 
but I think that's going to be the best way to do it. Yeah. Because I feel like, I mean, people need to see themselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. They need to see the connection to them just as with the good story. The, the people, if they can't relate to the characters, they're not going to relate to the, to the story very well. So were you, let's go back then. Where, where, how did you get here really is the question. I'm, I'm curious, like before the book, was this a part of your business or was this something that like, you know, a light bulb or an epiphany that happened along the way? A little bit of both. Okay. And, 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 and I'll, without telling you my entire life story, <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll give you where that came from. My, in my previous life, my previous career, I worked in corporate marketing and public relations. Okay. And yeah, we use story in, in that a lot. It was, you know, in, interpret the company, tell the story of the company or the product to, to its, its various different publics. Well, I transitioned about oh, 18 years ago into more um, training and facilitation. Mm-hmm. and uh, worked a lot with a company uh, it's called Crucial Learning, used to be called Vital Smarts. You may be familiar with Crucial Conversations as one of their, one of their lead okay. training products. And storytelling was a really important part of the training facilitation. How do I explain this content by telling my story? And, and I knew that. Well, long about six years ago, I had helped a friend uh, write a book, and I made a comment to my wife at the end of that process that I feel like I should write my own book now, but I don't know what my book is. Mm -hmm. And my wife kind of rolled her eyes at me and said, Oh, I know what it is. And I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) How can you know if I don't know, how can you just like immediately know this is no, no, you need to write a book about how you take everyday experiences and turn them into stories that teach important principles. Mm. And my initial reaction was, that's not a book. People know how to do that. Everybody does that. And she goes, no, no, no. You do it better than other people do. And she says, and I don't know how, because I, she says, I can't do it. I don't know how you do that. And so then I kind of started analyzing what I did and then doing the research around what other storytellers are, are saying and looking at it and going, oh yeah, I do that, but I didn't do it deliberately. Mm-hmm. And so it made me very deliberate, more deliberate in the way that I tell stories. And then things just worked out with a good friend of mine, Daryl Harmon, uh, and he and I co-authored this book. And that's where we are today. And so that's, that's kind of how there was, it was just kind of part of my natural progression. But there was this epiphany from my wife that, no, you need to be more deliberate about this and share that with other people. So I, I really love that concept. I know it to be true. And I, I, I say this if I'm, you know, giving a speech or a workshop or presentation often that, um, you know, your personal stories can work and do work really well in a business setting. Yeah. So my question is to you, like, because I feel like, and I've, this has been confirmed or echoed by, by clients of mine um, and people that have been in attendance. I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily believe that or can't see the connection. Yeah. Because they're like, well, this is about business. What's the story uh, of t- about my kids have anything to do with sales, for example? Why is that? Why can a story from my personal life, you know, an everyday experience, as you say, work essentially for inspiration, for motivation, for guidance, for leadership, for business? Well, do, do we all only live a business life? 
No, I hope not. <laughs> of, co- of course not. And so when you're telling a, a, an experience from your personal life, people can relate to that because they have a personal life too. But they can relate to the story if you make the connection. Again, it goes back to being, being intentional, mm-hmm. deliberate about, okay, why am I telling this story? Like, let me just give you an example that happened last week to me. Great. I went to a basketball game with my son and his five-year-old son. Okay, so my five-year-old grandson, it was, it was the five-year-old's birthday, actually. Nice. And it was an NBA summer league game, you know, where they have the rookies and the, the less experienced players play in this, in this summer league to get evaluated. Well, it's in one of the big arenas, the big NBA arenas, and they have all these fun little contests that they do. And they had a dance-off contest where they would take, you know, video and put people on the jumbotron of, you know, people dancing. And so I said to my five-year-old grandson, get up and dance. It's a contest. We could win. And he gets up and he just does all this crazy dancing stuff. And he gets on the jumbotron. And it's like, look, look, there you are on the jumbotron. He's so excited. And he keeps (laughs) dancing. He keeps dancing. Well, at the end of the thing, it comes back and he won. And I looked at him and I said, Everett, you won. You won the competition. He says, I won. I won. Well, they brought down a $25 gift card to the team store. And he was so excited. And he had to hold the gift card. He had to hold the gift card. We went to the store afterwards and got him a t-shirt. And then it took all the value of the gift card plus a little bit more. But what did he want? Did he want the t-shirt? No, he wanted the gift card. (laughs) We asked him if we could get the card back. Because he wanted to hold on to that card. That was a symbol of him winning. And I thought, this is just exactly what happens in work. We try to reward people with something that we think is rewarding, but we don't think about what they care about. They could have brought him a little card that said, you're a winner that had zero value and he would have been just as happy. But we, so that there's a personal experience that translates directly what it, what, into what we do at work. Because we are people. We live real experiences, whether they're at work or they're at home. It's a great story. I also like how it brought us full circle back to the, you know, employee values mm-hmm. and like what they care about and not giving them, you know, ping pong table or <laughs> unlimited popcorn. Um <laughs> man, that's so good. I have a daughter who's four and like the whole time, this is, you know, this is how stories work, right? It was literally working on me and I know, I know how they work. You're picturing like, I'm your just, daughter at the arena with you, aren't you? Yes, of course. <laughs> I'm like, she would be doing the same thing too. Like, I mean, she likes gifts and like, but yeah, it's, it's, they don't, they don't understand that, that necessarily the, the, the monetary value thing, but it really does. That's not really the point. The point is that, it's what they want. You can apply that to your, to the people that work for you as well. Uh, but yeah, I was totally picturing us. Uh, what is that narrative transportation? Yeah. <laughs> like I'm well, in and, your and Another way I've heard it is a vicarious experience. Yeah. You're, you're, you're having that experience with me as I'm telling it because you can relate to it. So do you find that the work that you do, does it target leaders and own business owners and managers more or more employees? Some of both. Okay. Right now, like I mentioned earlier, we're doing a lot with sales professionals Yeah. and, and, and relationship sales is what we're talking about. So we're not talking about the person that, you know, stocks the vending machine necessarily, but people who need to make a, a relationship sale with somebody. 
mm-hmm. that when they make their pitch, they want them to be able to remember not only the product in the company, but them as a person, because mm-hmm. that's actually going to make it easier for them to make a sale. So that's a lot of the people that we work with on the leadership side. We work more with emerging leaders, people who uh-huh. are coming into their leadership realm, because in that, in that area, there's a tendency for people to think, okay, I'm a leader. Now I have to do serious leader things. I have to share people, with people, a lot of numbers and charts and graphs and, and show myself as a serious leader. And they actually end up disconnecting themselves from people as they do that. Whereas storytelling will maintain the connectivity to the people, but also connectivity to the principles that they're trying to teach and pass on to those, those people that they lead. You know, as you're saying both of those points about the relationship selling um, and then the emerging leader who's trying to be something he or she is not, Kind of, or what they, you know, the story they think uh, a leader should be. The what I'm hearing is authenticity. What role does that play in in using storytelling for for business, or what what role does that play in business? Well, it's the authenticity that actually connects you, right? Uh, And 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 I've heard you talk about this before too. If if every story I tell shows me as this wonderful hero that's done everything perfect. Mm-hmm. It's actually going to be harder for you to relate to me. Mm-hmm. And if I share stories where I show that I struggled with something and maybe even stumbled at something and didn't get the results that I wanted because I made a mistake. Now, I also want to show how I would fix that the next time, what I'm going to do differently to recover from that, to make the change that I actually want. But it's in that vulnerability that you really connect to people and you connect people with each other. Mm-hmm. And that's where the trust grows in an organization and within a team. Yeah, this, 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 I think that this, you know, that the culture is shifting a little bit in terms of, of being authentic and people wanting that and needing that a little bit more whereas in the past and definitely still some now of course this is what we're trying to to change you know people would be a little fearful of putting themselves out there at least where they have slipped up like you said or trying to inspire people by their successes only uh which success is inspiring but without showing the slip-ups it seems uh false or fake um but it makes me think of there's this shift going on right now in social media where, uh, you know, to put it very short and simply, like TikTok is kind of king right now and has changed the game in terms of platforms like Instagram. And Instagram historically was all about the filtered experience, right? The highlight reel, in fact. And it was set these unattainable goals for people and then therefore created insecurities because I'll never look like that person where that person is really like literally it's the whole thing is a highlight reel. It's all crafted and manipulated. Um, and literally they created filters to make you look unlike how you really look where TikTok, what performs best is the exact opposite. They want the blemishes. They want you, you know, if you're a woman like fresh out, out of, out of bed with the, wearing the scarf and maybe putting on your makeup, not fully made up. Uh, they don't care if you're in bed, you know, it's very, you know, and, and, and it performs better that way. And I think there is a cultural shift that's going on because whether you're a leader in business or whether you're a content creator, you know, pretending like <laughs> everything is perfect, it doesn't take too long for us to realize that's BS. 
But for a long time, before we realize that, I think it, it sets people back. It doesn't show them the way forward. Yeah. Well, and you think back to kind of early leadership models. Right. And it was leader is king. And, and you wanted right. everybody in the organization to kind of bow to the king. And, mm-hmm. and, and so you wanted to set that person up as the picture of perfection. Mm-hmm. Well, how many times did the king fall? And then what did it do to the organization when that happened? Mm-hmm. And now it, you, that, that, well, that was a time when you would lead by command too. That it's like, okay, everybody follow the perfect leader, follow the general here. And everybody just do it without asking why you just, you just follow the lead. Well, I think that social media is part of this, that it's opened things up a lot where we do question why more. We do want to know the why behind the what that we're actually doing. And you want to see your leaders not as this uh, made up figure that's in front there, but as somebody who's, who's real, somebody who's with you and who's marching forward with you in this battle, not somebody that you're just going to look to as a figurehead. And storytelling allows you to do that. You had leaders, and I actually had one that was kind of in a transition during this time where he came in new to the organization and I was counseling him, you know, okay, make sure you connect people to what these numbers all mean. And he was like, no, 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 we're showing financials. And if they don't get it, they don't belong here. And I'm like, ooh, dangerous philosophy. Yeah. Dangerous philosophy. And dangerous words too. Yeah. And now he never said that publicly. Right. right. Uh, other than to, to, to me, I guess, in a, in a private room. But I was like, yeah, don't, don't expect people who are computer engineers to take all this financial data and understand what it means to them in their workday life. Right. You need to make that connection for them. And you make that connection through telling the story of what those numbers mean in their day-to-day. And because because people aren't going to make that connection all the time without you leading the way. And that's leadership. Leadership is leading them the way to showing them the why. Mm -hmm. And that's that's going to drive people's motivation up. What do you say to the client? You're working with someone, you know, this, this made me the picture you were painting about that, that, that particular person made me think of this. What do you say to the client? Who's like some version of, well, either disagreeing with, you know, your, your statement, or this is when I hear like, I'm not creative or I'm not a storyteller if they were to put, you know, that word to it, but just like, ah, it's not really my thing. Like, what do you say to that person? Usually I ask them, what are your hobbies? And I know that's a weird response to that. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so Tell me more. Yeah, I'm in totally interested. But I'll, but I'll say, what, what, what are your hobbies? And they say, oh, I love water skiing. And I'll say, okay, what happened the first time you tried to water ski? Oh, yeah, I did a face plant. The, the ski kicked up and hit me in the head. You know, whatever happened like that. It's the same thing. It's a skill. Like any other skill, it takes practice. You probably had somebody teach you how to water ski and give you some tips and then give you a chance to practice it. And then as you got better and better at it, you felt more comfortable with it and it became nat- natural to you as it is now. Storytelling is like your beginning step in whatever that hobby was that you do, that it was a little unnatural at first, but you've got to do it to feel the joy of it and to see the results of it. And then it starts becoming natural and you love it. Hmm. You know, this is inter- this is really interesting. 
sorry, I'm taking notes uh, about the hobby thing. This is this is a great way to to, to pull out that that um, uh, to pull out that information or or explain that to them, and also um, to kind of piggyback onto that. And I'm just trying to think of like what hobbies out there aren't creative. Because when you asked the question, I started running through my mind what the answers might be. You said water skiing. I went to woodworking. It's not mine, but I just know a lot of people that do that. But like, then I started thinking about like, I'm looking at my keyboard. That could be a hobby for somebody. Like, are there hobbies that aren't creative in nature? Because if you're water skiing, like you have to be creative, right? Once you figure out how to stand and ride, and then it's all about like, ooh, am I going to, am I like a big jumper? Am I smooth and rhythmic? You know, same with woodworking. Am I going to build just tables and, you know, and sell them at the flea market? Or am I going to create these intricate, like, you know, does like, uh, you know, pieces like art pieces or whatever. Um, and I'm really going to continue to try to ask myself that because I feel like they're all creative is, is what yeah. my stance is now. I can't think of a hobby at this point that wouldn't be. So this is a really good question to open that door. It's like, you're already creative. You just, cause you think woodworking is like, you know, not, it is, of course it is. And then yeah. you have to learn all the nuances to that skill. So to your point about the skill, like, absolutely. You, you sucked the first time you tried to, you know, carve something out of wood and then you got better because there was a passion for it and, and you took the steps to learn it. But also I would add on to that. You have to be really creative along the way. Yeah. Well, the other great thing about the, the way that we present storytelling, because it's take your real life experiences and turn them into stories is you don't have to be super creative just to live your life. Right. Great you know, point. It, just look for anything that you had an emotional reaction to. I'll go back to my grandson at the basketball game. That was just so funny to me to see his reaction around that, but also go to things that maybe frustrate you, you know, or a time that something shocked you. Anything you have an emotional reaction to, there is probably a lesson learned in that experience. So you just got to start looking for and making the connection between the experience you had that created the emotional reaction and what's the lesson that you learned from that. The other thing is to, to you can turn it the other way and say, I need something to teach this particular principle. Let's say I need to teach a principle about dedication. I've got people who are mm. clocking in at, at nine o'clock and clocking out at five and taking their full hour for lunch. And, and I just don't know that they're giving us their all during that time. I need a story to illustrate the importance, the power of full dedication and maybe going a little bit above and beyond. If you go through about a two week period and look for examples of that, I almost guarantee you to find it because you're attuned to it. You're looking for it. You may be even asking other people about it. A good friend of mine, we cite this example in the book. He was trying to come up with an illustration of, um, I, think that, I think the principle he was looking for was when you make a decision that goes wrong. In other <laughs> words, a well-intended decision, a well-intended effort that goes wrong. Mm -hmm. And he was looking for examples, he's looking for example. And he just started talking to his wife about it over dinner. And she goes, Oh, I got an example. And she goes, Oh, tell me, tell me what it is. He says, yeah, my good friend who's eight and a half months pregnant, her husband bought her a thigh master for Christmas. Well-intended because she likes to be in shape, but when you're eight and a half months pregnant, no. that's not the gift that you give to your loved one. No. Okay. And so you just ask around, look around. Those examples will come again if you're clear and focused on 
what's my purpose in telling this story? What principle do I need to teach? Mm. I'm also seeing a common thread here with the wives, with the little, uh, <laughs> the light bulbs going off <laughs> and also empathizing with that because my wife helps me out a lot too with this, those little <laughs> moments lesson to be learned there. Okay. So do you take these people? Do you get like, uh, I love the point you just made about, about, uh, you don't have to be creative to look into your life experiences, right? This is a really good, uh, barrier breaker, I believe, um, because people do have that, that thing that stops them. It's like, I'm just not, I'm not that creative. That's, this is the antidote, right? Like, yeah, you don't have to be just think about when you were frustrated. That's the one, an example you gave. So, but there, there are still things that need to be done technically in terms of crafting the story at that point. So do you take people on that part of the journey? And if so, like, what is your model or what is your step for someone's like, okay, I have a good story. My, you know, my grandson was on the uh, jumbotron, et cetera, et cetera. And actually make them better of a storyteller when it turn when it comes to like, you told that story very succinctly. It was entertaining. It was engaging. I was thinking of my family, like, are there tips or structures or formulas that you take them through at that point so that they actually like perfect that skill or get better at that skill rather uh, of storytelling? Yeah. And, and I try to keep it really simple. Yeah. Um, if you tell somebody you got to go through all 17 stages of the narrative <laughs> arc, you know, they're, 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 you're going to lose them. That are, and, and those people that you're talking about that are saying, Oh, I'm just not creative. This isn't the skill that's natural for me. They're going to check out. They're gone. Yeah. And so I just take them through those main three chunks. You have an introduction where you set the stage. You introduce who the characters are and how they're relatable to the people that are that are listening to you and what goal they're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And then you come into the um, the conflict. What's potentially getting in the way of that goal? And, it, and sometimes people think, well, it has to be this huge, massive goal and this huge, massive conflict. No, it can be very, very simple things as well. Mm -hmm. And then the third step we refer to as the change. Then what happens? What do you do to either overcome that challenge yes. or what did you not do that made that challenge insurmountable that you could mm. do differently next time? And, and so to, to give a quick example of that, I often tell this story about how the, the, the point of this story is how we frustrate ourselves more than anybody else frustrates us. Mm. I was driving to the airport on a Sunday afternoon, trying to go out to a client event, easy traffic day, Sunday afternoon. I realized, eh, I'm going a little fast. I better slow it down. I was going with the flow of traffic, but a little fast. And about three miles after I had that thought, I look in my rear view mirror, highway patrolman around behind me. No lights on, but he's in the lane behind me. What's the first thing that pops into my head? It's going to pull me over. Yeah. He's going to make me late for my flight, or he's going to make it so I have to rush at the airport. This was going to be such a good day. And then I thought, well, maybe he's not after me. And so I pulled over a lane to the right because I was going to have to exit pretty soon anyway. What does the highway patrolman do? <laughs> Moves over into the lane behind me. So what does this do to the narrative that's going on into my head? And I'm getting more and more bugged. And I'm thinking through, there are other people going faster than me. How could he pull me over? I don't deserve this. And I'm thinking all my argument that I'm going to make. And I pull over to my exit only lane to think, well, maybe he's going to go out. No, he pulls over to the exit only lane with me. He follows me off that exit only lane. One of those lanes goes to the airport. Another goes off onto another freeway. And I'm building up this story going, okay, fine. Just pull me over already. 
and he goes off onto the other freeway. He wasn't even following me. Now, who was impacted by all that stuff going on inside of my head? Only me. I didn't have any impact on the highway patrolman behind me. All I did was work myself up. And if I had just thought, eh, I'm fine. I would have just saved myself a little bit of emotional grief. Now, that wasn't a huge conflict. It wasn't a huge barrier that, that, to overcome. But it teaches that important lesson of the narrative we got in our head has more impact on our emotional state and our outcomes than it does on what anybody else does. Absolutely. I understood every bit of that. <laughs> it's like well, therapy. Again, that's a situation we can all relate to, right? Yeah. 100%. We've all been in that situation. If you drive a car, you've been in that situation where the policeman shows up behind you and the first instinct is, oh no, what's going to happen? So, and we do it all the time in our regular lives too. The boss walks in and says, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And our immediate reaction is, oh no. <laughs> what do they want? Yeah. They want to give me extra work. Did they not like something they did? Bro, and all that does is make it harder for us to listen to the boss. Oh man. I feel slightly attacked. <laughs> or very seen. I feel, I feel very seen. That's a better way to flip <laughs> to flip the narrative, right? Uh, this is how I feel whenever my wife is like, Rain. <laughs> what what i do what one word just your name there's right? a certain way but there's a tone right there's a certain <laughs> certain way that it's said and i'm like oh no i forgot to do something uh okay i have a question um in your journey of writing the book and just when storytelling started really becoming front and center in, in the work that you do what unexpected light bulb went off or what was something unexpected that you learned in that process that that's really stuck with you if you can think of something where you were like you were going down this path and then all of a sudden like you know, either this bit of knowledge or this this thing about the storytelling space kind of surprised you or shocked you or changed the trajectory. I think the thing that really struck me was all the brain science behind it. Big time. I love that stuff. Uh, it, because I, it made sense to me, kind of the process, the structure of story. It made sense to me that it connects us as people. <laughs> but then I found out there's all this really good brain science that shows there's a physiological a biological reason that this is happening, that this actually works. And so I think that was the thing that really struck me more than anything else is this is not accidental and it's not made up. It, it, it actually ties to real science. And, and absolutely. I totally nerd out. I have to make sure if I'm giving a workshop, not to, to go too dense into that stuff. Cause I love, you noticed I, love. I stopped myself. Yeah, dude. Oh, I love it so much. I love it so much. Um, uh, okay, so kind of a follow-up question to that. Also, since you've learned all that you have in the storytelling space, is there, and I know we've talked about in the beginning of the conversation, kind of you getting a little more narrowly focused on certain uh, subsects or some, certain uh, uh, verticals, uh, is there uh, concepts or uh, you know parts of the storytelling space that, it, let's say you were to write, an, you might be working on another book, I don't know, but that that, that if you were to write something else, has it taken you to another piece of the storytelling world, if that makes sense? And I'll give you an example, maybe to clarify, like um, I started uh, similarly like storytelling for, for, for business, um, but I ended up and have found a new passion for really helping people 
carve out a brand or a business for themselves based off of their unique story. So if someone like me, who's just, you know, one, one person and they're like, I, I don't want to work a nine to five. I've, I've always kind of want to be my own boss. I'm not exactly sure what I want to do. I've found a way to, to help those people a lot by looking back into their story. So that's like a space where I started here in the storytelling space and it kind of took me here and I really enjoy that. Do you have a, something similar to you? Is there a, a part of that, of the story storytelling uh, world that you've gravitated towards more? And I think it, yeah, I think it goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier too. And it's that idea of being very intentional. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned that in, in, in our current book and we mentioned it in our workshops and I mentioned it in my coaching, but I think that I would even emphasize that more. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to emphasize it more is to just be really clear about what is your purpose in the story. You, you talked about, you know, helping people who are not as experienced storytellers edit it out, edit out the, the details mm -hmm. that don't need to be there. Right. When you're clear on your intent, when you're clear on where the story is going, mm. it's easier to do that. Because I can think of a detail and go, does that relate to the point that I'm making? If my answer is no, boom, it's out. And, it, and it's easy to take that out because it's not going to get me where I'm going. I, I think of it sometimes that the people who just go on and on and on with their story and that you're sitting there listening and going, is there an end somewhere in our future? I, I refer to that as people not landing the plane and, and they don't land the plane because they fly around. And they're not really sure where they're going. They didn't, they didn't file a flight plan. They just decided to take off and just joyride for a while. And so they're flying around trying to find a destination. If I know what that destination is, I'm going to make the straight line to the destination. I'm not just going to fly around looking for some place to land. Hmm. So it's that intentionality of this is the point that I'm trying to make that helps you focus your story to get to that point with the necessary details, but without the extraneous details. How do you help someone determine what that end goal is? If they... So a lot of people like me that are interested in a lot of things, they're skilled at a lot of different things, and they're not sure, like they're struggling to get clear yeah. on, on that purpose. And a lot of it comes back to asking why, <laughs> why, why yeah. are you doing that? And even a more specific question around that is, what do you want people to know? What do you want people to do? Mm. When you get to the end of that story, what do you not want them to know and remember? And what do you want them to do? with that information? What's the action that you want them to take? A lot of times people think of storytelling and even in business, and they think of, oh, okay, this is to entertain. And there is certainly a place for storytelling to entertain. And if you want to entertain, great. Tell the story to entertain, but don't expect your results to change from that. If you have a specific thing that you want people to do, or if you want something to change, I'll go back to our conversation about getting back to work, coming back into the workspace mm -hmm. rather than working virtually. Well, if that's what the purpose is, if I want people to get back here, I need to show them a compelling reason that they need to be back in person in a story. So what's my story that shows the compelling reason for them to come back to work? And if you can't find one, then do you have a good compelling reason for them to get back into the office? That's, that's the question I, I would ask. And I'm not saying that there isn't a compelling reason. I'm saying you've got to find what that compelling reason is. Well, I think that 
bringing that back full circle is a good a good place to end. I feel like we could we could continue talking about this for for quite a while. Uh, besides the book, um, which I'll definitely plug in the intro, is there anything else, any other resources that someone in any of the spaces that we've talked about today, whether solopreneurs or business leaders or salespeople, uh, any other resources that you have for them that they could they could find or use? Yeah, def definitely bring them to our website, which is master-storytelling.com. You have to have the little dash between master and storytelling to, to get to us. So it's master-storytelling.com. And we have some free resources there. We have a, what we call a story catcher. It's a PDF download. What's that? Can, What's a story catcher? It, it's really just some guidance on finding stories in your life. Nice. How do, you, how do you find those experiences that can become stories to teach, lead, sell, and inspire? Oh, that's perfect. And so that's a, that's a free download. That, well, okay, it does cost you. It costs, your, it costs you your email address. <laughs> but uh, I'm not, I don't pester people. I don't send no. out a lot of stuff. But there's one place. Um, I'm also on the social media sites, LinkedIn, Facebook. And we have master storytelling pages there where I'll, where I'll share tips for storytelling and I'll share examples of stories. In fact, I'm about to write up that uh, the story that I just shared with you about my five-year-old grandson that uh, with that point about, you know, don't look at all your employees the same in terms of trying to motivate them with, with the rewards. Um, so our website and those social media sites are probably the best place to find me. We do workshops on, on taking people through the master storytelling process and we also do uh, group and individual coaching on storytelling. That's what I was going to ask. Do you find yourself working more with like teams or with individuals like within a team? There's some mix. Okay. Uh, th there's a mix of people who say, Ooh, this is a skill that I personally want to develop. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's teams that say we, as a marketing team, for example, mm -hmm. we really want to understand this, or we, as the training and development team, really need to understand how we can bring storytelling into our, uh, our, our trainings to, to liven things up. You know, before we go, I want to ask like, and I mentioned this a lot, uh, storytelling has become kind of a marketing buzzword. You mentioned salespeople a lot in this conversation. I think salespeople at least inherently know uh, the power of storytelling, even if they didn't call it that necessarily, right? Historically, I've known that, but um, I know my thoughts about, about that, but, you know, is storytelling, you know, why is it not, it's nothing new, right? It's become very popular lately, which I think is good and especially good for people like you and I, but what is storytelling really at the end of the day? Because I feel like you, you agree with me that it's not just like a marketing thing. Yeah. And, and the simplest way that I can put it is storytelling is connecting people and ideas because storytelling does connect people that, that goes back to some of the brain science. Yeah. yeah this is yeah. what we've been doing for centuries is how we connect as people for sure. But it's also connecting intentionally about the ideas that we want to share with each other. It's a great way. This is the subtitle of our book, how to teach lead and inspire. And, and storytelling is one of the most effective ways to do it, do that. And I think people are getting to that point where they're saying, gee, the data charts and graphs, aren't teaching, leading, and inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. may be informing, but they're not getting those other things that we need. And so people are looking for a way to do that. And in today's business environment of staying connected to their people, not just their customers, but internally to their people as mm -hmm. well. And so storytelling is connecting people and ideas. 
Love it, man. Perfectly stated. Mark, I appreciate your time, my friend. It was great chatting with you. I did send you a LinkedIn uh, connection request, so Thank you. Better, you better accept it. Oh, I will totally accept it. <laughs> Probably within seconds of when we're done here. <laughs> All right, buddy. I appreciate it, man. Nice chatting with you. This has been great. Thanks so much. See you, man. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.